0: Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is New to Two. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart, joining me on this lovely evening after a bevy of tech issues. But we're here all the same. Nicole Davis, how are you?
1: I'm well. My computer's working. Let's hurry up and start (laughs) recording.
0: (laughs) Yes, we do have you. We can hear you. You sound great. We have David Luzader on the line as well, and he sounds great. How are you, David? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Ready to discuss another movie. Absolutely. Now, new to two is the opportunity for one of us to bring a film that naturally the other two have not seen before. This is becoming increasingly difficult. When you do a movie podcast with people that you've been watching movies with for like three years and all of you watch a lot of movies... It's gotten a little difficult, but I found one. It was my turn this time that I think that you guys hopefully enjoyed or got something interesting out of. It's a very interesting movie, I think. But before we get into it, I want to announce next week's movie. It is a Netflix roulette round. We spin a wheel on Netflix and it tells us what we are going to be watching. We are going to be watching Billy Elliot. It came out in 2000. If you want to check that out, it is available, of course, on Netflix. But this week, we're dialing back to 1988 with a Spike Lee film called School Days. Spike Lee tells a tale of a week in the life of a historically black college in the run-up to Homecoming. Now, briefly, the reason I picked this was I I really just wanted to do do the right thing, and <laughs> Nicole had already seen it, so that was out of the question. I I expected that. No, I expected that. Uh, So, Go See Do the Right Thing. It's a better movie. I'm just going to say it right now. But
1: this is Do the Right Thing is a masterpiece.
0: Right. It is Mike Lee's masterpiece, which is also insane that it was only one year before this because the jump in quality and storytelling ability is quite astounding. That said, this is a really interesting piece of cinema from one of cinema's most interesting and celebrated directors. And I think it has a very interesting story to tell, albeit one that is often uh, very. Wayward and and kind of rambles around for does it
2: have a story
0: to tell? Yeah, yeah. Uh, For about a half, it does for for about about half half, the movie. Yeah, it's about a half longer, a half hour longer than it should be. Like this movie has issues, and we'll get into quite a few of them. I'm by no means bringing this the way I would bring like a future classic. I just wanted you guys to see this because a I'd love listeners to know it exists, uh, and because not a lot of people know about it, and b uh, it's just fun to talk about Spike Lee, and we've never done one of his films. So we're here doing School Days. Uh, neither of you had seen it before. Had either of you heard of it, first of all? Because this is like the oh, yeah. treasure trove no. deep in Spike Lee land. Nope. Okay, so this movie, uh, first of all, I just want to dig into some of the more light stuff before we get deeper in. <laughs> it kind of jumps between comedy drama if you can even call it that and musical so the first question i want to ask you guys is there are musical parts of which there are several are they good do they last too long this is something david had in our docket as well uh and i have two points on this but i'll get to you guys first did you enjoy that abrupt switch because it's very abrupt there's a point in this movie where the two sets of women go into riri's uh, barbershop or not barber uh, salon, salon. For women barbershops for women <laughs> and they have this in my opinion the best scene in the movie they have a really awesome musical number and it kind of sets a really weird tone it's very unexpected like did that catch you guys off guard
1: um i knew it was coming i knew there were musical numbers in this movie um i'm also a little more used to abrupt tone switches we we've, we've talked before about like uh east asian movies and how they tend to sometimes juggle between like drama and slapstick and um mm-hmm. i've been watching more bollywood movies and they'll throw in musical numbers at the drop of a hat which have <laughs> nothing to do with the narrative so um and this one you know the musical numbers mostly have a point to make um so yeah, I I was I was down with it.
2: All right. I should probably say this kind of off the bat. I didn't really like this movie that much. There's a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of really interesting ideas that I don't think lives up to the potential of it at all. This movie does not carry out on what is promised to me at the beginning of this movie. <laughs>
0: wow. This is why you need to go see do the right thing. But part, part of, totally partially partially
2: why uh this movie starts and there's the musical number which t- Okay, I think I have some issues, with the, the music in this movie is very rough, uh, except for some of the musical numbers that... Okay, we'll get to it in a sec. Uh, and like suddenly this musical number starts, and it's this kind of fantasy sequence where they're in a hair salon, and they're like fighting, dancing sort of thing. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is the musical numbers we're getting for the rest of the movie, uh, except that it's not. The musical numbers we get for the rest of the movie are people singing while events are happening who aren't characters in the film, uh, and then something about butts. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the that,
1: That's a, butt is a famous song. Gosh dang it. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. That
1: but was the thing like, I was a teenager. But also <laughs> that that
2: like that musical sequence
0: in the in the hair salon goes on for so long. <laughs> now see, That that's interesting to me because. To me, when I watch this movie, um, the one that's snappiest to me is the hair salon because it has the most to say. And I also love that it's just this crazy, you know, ethereal salon that exists I, perfectly symmetrical what, for them to do this dance before it immediately jumps back to them.
2: That's what I thought we were going to get. It was going to be like a lot of these conflicts are going to be handled and expanded on in musical form. And like the characters singing out their conflicts. uh like in this metaphorical space and I'm down for that, but that's not what
0: the movie, like that gives us that do us that one time and then like never again. Right. Yeah. Because one, one critique I certainly have with this movie is there's a couple of the subsequent music scenes um, that just are so very long and <laughs> underscore uncomfortable sex scenes that are also so, so very, very long. long. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I actually you know i I totally hear you on stuff that's long and drawn out for me personally, the most drawn out stuff is the subsequent stuff, especially the final one where the band's on stage at the final dance, and it's like it's it's i count it was like eleven minutes of them on stage playing while various things are happening around them, and it's a little bit much. I think this movie's longer than it needs to be. this movie's two hours long, and it certainly should not be yeah, I would agree with that uh but I do. Really love the musical scene in in the like salon. I don't know why I can't keep thinking of the word salon. I'm so used to <laughs> barbershop. But in any case, your brain's going to do solange, which we could just talk about solange Let's the Just whole talk time. about <laughs> right? Uh, and and I think the way that scene is introduced is very interesting because it's the, you know these two groups of women, one are in a sorority, one are just a big group of friends. They collide in this hall in this hallway, and they're you know each side is too proud to get the other one to move. To walk past and then it just cuts to this you know magical barbershop somewhere else salon salon and uh, <laughs> then right as soon as that's done snaps right back to the girls in each other's faces and the scene's over again and love that, that idea. Been cool to the whole movie i agree that would have been really cool now let's also talk about spike lee having a very defined assured voice from early on in his career however uh You know, there's some strong visual instincts, but it's still very unrefined. This is shared discussion topics from you both. And I think you both make good points here. It's very, it's, it's, I don't know how to describe it. I, it feels like a Spike Lee movie. Even the colors and the, and the brightness and the bright oranges and reds that he would later bring one year later to do the right thing so famously are all present here. They're just not as quite refined as do the right thing.
1: Well, and I mean, there's, there's some, bits of whenever people are posturing in some way in this movie, their dialogue becomes very stylized Mm -hmm. almost like particularly when, you know, Dean big brother almighty is addressing the pledges. You know, he's got this, Cadence to his voice and this exaggerated way of speaking, and um, it's it's very spikely. He that tends to happen where people sort of goes where it crosses from normal dialogue almost into like iambic pentameter or magical realism (laughs) or you know a a heightened reality.
0: And let's not forget that this is a man to varying degrees of success, made a Shakespearean film in the south side of Chicago. <laughs> he loves himself some Shakespeare.
1: Oh, we could we could have a long talk about Chirac. <laughs>
0: right, I know. But like you're totally right. And speaking of that character, uh, I believe it's Julian. Um, yes. Julian, played, played by, by Giancarlo, Giancarlo
1: Esposito. Yeah,
0: oh, my like, goodness. Super you know, weird. So uh, weird when you only think
2: of him as Gus. Yeah, I was right? gonna say for people who don't know that that's Gus Fring from uh from Breaking Bad. Uh I really I really will say like there is some very sharply written dialogue in this movie. Um very interestingly written dialogue. Uh the part that I point out, the strong visual instincts, uh, but still a little unrefined. There's one shot in particular that really stood out to me, uh, which is when um Lawrence Fishburne's character, uh, Dap, is is sitting and he's talking to some people in like the quad or whatever. And uh, there's some noise that you know draws his attention, and he sees his girlfriend, and he walks over to go talk to her. And we have this tracking shot of when he's walking, and then he gets to where she's standing, and it it goes up a little bit. The shot awkwardly raises slightly to show us that she's standing under a bell which is smart because it is showing us what the noise was like that's That's good instinct, but it's like, it's kind of awkward to have a shot suddenly like shift upwards. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other ways you could have shown that to like still show the same thing. But I thought like, that's really good. Like that shows somebody who's really thoughtful about what they're, uh, what they're trying to show us and what they want to show us.
1: Well, that's it's also it's foreshadowing Ernest the Anderson.
0: end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's what? it's foreshadowing the end of the movie uh, when they ring the yeah. bell to get everybody to wake up.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. And I'm saying this other ways you could have shown the bell and shown mm. that she was standing under it. it I'm just having like right. the, the, the raise up. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, there are some other, I mean, there's some other shots in this movie that I, that I really liked a lot.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very interestingly shot because again, I just, I look at it and I just see it as like the spiritual prequel. I keep bringing up do the right thing. Cause it happens literally less than a year later. Um, which is so mind-blowing to me. And that also kind of brings me to my next discussion topic for me personally, which is a parallel between both those films. Spike Lee a good actor in his own movies? <laughs> how, how do we like Half-Pint?
1: It depends on the part. I think he's really good in this part as Half-Pint. I think yeah, it, it really suits his strengths.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's uh, Half-Pint's an awkward guy. Spike Lee <laughs> kind of an awkward guy. I think we're playing into type here. About the what, end of the movie what about the end of the movie does he cha- I mean he's a little bit different towards the end but
0: he's kind of an accomplice and
2: oh uh, gosh
0: I don't oh do we, that, I don't,
1: yeah do we want to get think, into that now. I'm also
0: trying to figure out how to phrase it it's almost like voluntary rape
1: it's it's, it's coerced
2: it's it's coercion
1: it's coerced sex with someone yes. that she doesn't really followed, want to have sex with. Followed
2: by gaslighting.
1: Yes, followed by extreme gaslighting.
2: It was which makes it horrifying even
1: ickier, as if it wasn't icky enough to start with.
2: And the problem is, I don't know if I'm supposed to like Julian or not. Like,
1: <laughs> I'm not. Julian cr- is r- very charismatic, but I don't think we're supposed to like him. <sighs>
0: okay, okay, yeah. it's a little, it was a little hard to tell. <laughs> so, so to bring us back very briefly, though, the you know, Half-Pint, this character, is trying to pledge to this fraternity at this fictitious college that is a Gamma Phi
1: Gamma. College. Gamma Phi <laughs>
0: Gamma. Uh, they're all dogs. And uh, they have him go through all sorts of hazing rituals, and he's doing the whole rush week and pledging and all that crap. And uh, it ends with this recurring notion that they will not let him become- uh, a member of their fraternity if he's a virgin and they believe he's a virgin and we don't really know whether or not he really is. Um it sounds like he isn't, but who knows? And Julian, the crazy dude running this fraternity, uh gaslights <laughs> not even gas he he coerces his girlfriend to be with half pint and then dumps her. And it's yes. a very sticky situation well, at the end of the movie that makes no, me very uncomfortable.
2: Here's and, 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 yeah, and it's in the situation is that he's like, Oh, I'm gonna test your love for me. Right. By like going up to like, and that's all he says. And then he walks with her up to half pint and is like, okay, I for you know, because you're a new pledge for tonight, you get to be with my girlfriend. Like he doesn't ever say like now you guys are gonna have sex. It's very strongly implied, but he never says the words because that's his call out at the end of like, Oh, I never told you to do that. You had sex with him. I took you to the bone room and put you in there with him. Uh, And you had sex with him. Well, how could you do this to me? Because he wanted to dump her and couldn't just be like, Hey, I think we should break up. Right. Oh, it was, it made me sick.
1: Oh, it's very, it's intended to. I believe very firmly that it's, it's intended to make you feel completely sick. You know, it's some people have called this movie misogynistic in part because of this scene. And I think it's, it's portraying misogyny very well, but I don't think the movie itself is misogynist.
2: I don't know if it's misogynistic, but it doesn't do a lot for its female characters. They are largely defined by who they're dating.
1: Well I mean Rachel's yeah. got something of a character right you know? but I mean, then like and, at the
2: end she goes back to being with him
1: Well yeah and I mean <laughs> I was going to say you may you may have a point because her two roommates I think have even though they have small parts I think they do a lot with them um mm-hmm. but I don't actually know their character names you I know,
0: I don't one know of them
1: <laughs>
2: I mean, this movie wouldn't pass the Bechdel test. That's for sure.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: No, there's only, to me in this movie, there's three characters that it focuses on at the end of the day, and those are Rachel, Dapp, and Half-Mind, and maybe maybe uh, uh Julian to an extent. Um, Julian and Jane. Yeah. The one thing I will say quickly to go back to that really disgusting scene, and then we move on, <laughs> is that the reason I think Spike Lee includes it is because... While this movie is certainly a dissection of his experience at Morris College and uh
1: Morehouse, yeah.
0: Morehouse, right. Um, Morehouse College and what it's like to um be in an all black school, which we'll get into a little later. But all and keep in mind we are not the right authority to talk about this. <laughs> uh not no, we're a panel of white people. But uh this kind of thing happens in college. I I know women that I went to school with that had sickening things done to them oh, by guys on campus and by guys in college it is sick and it's horrible and it's a really bad culture and you could argue whether or not greek life worsens or is indifferent to that culture um, um, it, i think it, this movie doesn't flinch from it and it makes it all the more heart-wrenching and angry to watch all i could think was
2: I was like this poor girl would have complexes for the rest of her life. But
0: right, because oh, yeah. she's very vulnerable as people are when they're that young in college yeah. and, and he takes advantage of that.
2: There, and, and to what you were saying, there is some definite realism of being in college um, w- within this movie, uh, thinking of the scene where Depp is talking to his friends and kind of finds out that his friends aren't as behind him as he thought they were. as he, uh, And I they mean. all like, storm out of the room and you know it's this big thing of, like he's really pissed off at them and like 10 seconds later they're like hey you want to go get some KFC uh but back then we could call it Kentucky Fried Chicken um, and it's just like just how quickly
0: of like we have the we're, oh, we're so mad at each other and they're like hey you want to go hang out I think the proper way to describe that scene David is oh my god we're going to walk into Samuel <laughs> Jackson yes Samuel Jackson is in this movie <laughs> shows up in this movie um, and I actually want to get to him a little bit later. Looking oh, older than he does as Nick Fury somehow.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, weird. <laughs>
0: it's weird. He's like a twig, too. He's so thin. Okay. I'm
2: just going to say this, too, because I think it's amusing. When I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure that's Samuel Jackson, but it's so hard to tell if it's him for a second. But I just had a thought of, like, am I being racist by thinking that's Samuel Jackson? Uh, turns out it was him. So I felt better. <laughs> but. Just like it looks like him, while simultaneously
0: not looking like him at all. I think part of it is how is he? He seems thinner than I normally know him as.
1: Oh, well, he was. You know, he was. Yeah, he, he was, he was, was yeah. more slender back then, and he had a like a little bit of the Jerry Curl thing going on, but not so. You know, uh, not the the glorious mop that he had as uh, Julius in Pulp Fiction. His
2: friend right. wearing the shower cap out.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's
2: and that's that's that's
0: such a great little detail. Um from from Spike Lee. So one thing I want to get to, I guess I'll do it now since we're on that scene, is really the central conflict of this movie. And you can say it, you know, maybe doesn't have too much of a plot and to an extent that's true, but all the things happening in this movie are central are centered around colorism within the black community. It is, you know, varying degrees of African Americans in this movie uh being prejudiced against other African Americans for either, you know, their education or their The lightness or darkness of their skin tone—that is a huge central conflict of this movie. It's something that still happens today, and it's a very, you know, Spike Lee puts this at the forefront of this movie. Um, But you see, interesting. Oh, go ahead.
1: Oh, sorry. And a huge thing that's actually extremely resonant today for a lot of different reasons is uh, hair. You know, natural hair versus processed hair.
0: Right. That's a good point, and and it's. I, we see an interesting side to this in the in the scene with with Sam Jackson, because prior to Sam Jackson, uh, Dapp is on a is on a crusade throughout the entire movie to get his college to di- divest in anything South African. He wants nothing to do with apartheid. Um, you know, he is very much inspired by uh, the the political leaders of 25 years prior in the civil rights movement, and he. Has an element of his character of this colorism where he, you know, he tends, and Rachel accuses him of this, he tends to favor students on campus who are of a darker skin tone. And then Sam Jackson turns it right back on him and is like, oh, well, you're not black because we're black and we didn't go to school. You came into our community, you moved in here. Um, to go to college, you're going to take our jobs, and you are not a part of the community that we associate with. So it's like three different levels of it in this movie, and again, I'm the wrong person to talk about this. Yeah, a core... It's very interesting.
2: A core question at the uh, center of this movie is, what does it mean to be black? And I'd like to now take 30 minutes to... give the, the white man's opinion on that.
0: Um, <laughs> no. Let's uh,
1: all white explain as best we can, yeah, it's just, what it's like well, to be black in the United States.
0: Yeah, yeah we're not going to do that. No, so no.
1: this is, huge, you know, monster disclaimer here, 95 right. Ways Sunday, that we are three white people discussing a movie that is not for us. You know, this is not a movie that was that was made with the white audience in mind. Oh, this is something that Spike made because mm-hmm. he wanted to make it and he wanted to make it for the black community and with his black crew and cast and you know, I think it's really well done and it makes me think about all the horrible stuff that I've done in my life without realizing until like a decade later. I'm like, oh shit, that was really racist, wasn't it? Damn it. You know? It's just, but you know, this is, this is, I was going to say, this is the age of it, but this is stuff that we should have been doing all along, which is you need to own your shit. You need to drag it out into the light. I have committed sins against black hair. Yeah. I once put Dorito chips in a girl's hair at a sleepover because she was unfortunately the first one to fall asleep. Uh, She was also the only African-American at the sleepover, which I didn't really think about at the time, but it actually would have been harder for her. And it was, it would have, it was worse to do it to her than it would have been to a white girl falling asleep because black hair is different from white hair, you know, not to be too generalized. Obviously there's a huge spectrum in that as well, but um it's not common to wash your hair every day if you're African American because it is very tightly curled and the oil from your scalp doesn't make it all the way down the strands as quickly as it does if you're, say, like me, uh, with very fine, short, thin hair that will look greasy in two days if I don't wash it every day. Um, so, you know, I, what I did was worse for her and that was terrible. And I once, Uh, and this is really bad but like i said you gotta own your shit um as one does in college you know you hang out in the common areas and you get you know college i was a very affectionate person and i touched everybody and i put my hand on an african-american young man's head and was made a remark being startled about the texture of his hair and it's not cool and it's not good and I feel bad about it and because I should because as racist and you know but I gotta own that I gotta bring that on I gotta own it and I gotta look back on it and feel bad about it and which I do and because that's how we learn you right. know that's how you stay that's how you try to wake yourself up as you, Larry Frishburn says at the end of the movie he's seeing it in a, a different way but uh, okay. I take it as a, a call to, you know, try to wake up and stay awake and stay aware of all these issues because, it's you know, stuff with is happening today with African-American hair. We're like there was a kid in eastern Massachusetts where I live. Um, there's a school that has a dress code policy that doesn't allow for, quote unquote, distracting hairstyles. And apparently very common African-American hairstyles like dreads and braids are considered distracting. And in order to be not distracting, it seems implied that they should be uh, damaging their scalps possibly or, you know, making their hair more prone to breakage by processing it and making it look more like Caucasian hair because they didn't put any thought into their dress code policy in that regard. So, I mean, this stuff is, it all, t- where am I going with this? <laughs> I get where you're going. And I think, I think, they, I think they, the important thing the to take movie away is, from this. Yeah, the movie u- uses hair as a center point about colorism and racism and it I, think, is I think this movie just as big in a slightly different way today. I think.
2: Well, I think this movie is more talking about colorism than, than racism, because it's it's for it's by a, a a black filmmaker for a black audience. I don't think it's trying to say as much about and white people do this um, because there's not really any white characters in the film that I can think about. I don't think there's any white.
1: No, although there is sort of an invisible. Right. I mean, there's a whole
2: whole apartheid thing. Well, Um, yeah,
1: there's that. And there's the one of the founders of the college was a white man. Yes. And they they say something in the I think it's the dean and the chairman of the board of trustees are talking um, about the history of it and comparing their college to places like Brigham Young and Yeshiva University and Notre Dame which are all also right. uh, they, they have they have single the church group.
2: backing them
1: right single they're they're they have church backing groups like you know Brigham Young is the Mormons and Notre Dame is a catholic college and Yeshiva University is a Jewish college and the you know they they're talking about how they are able to be sustained by dollars purely from their own communities and that historically black colleges and universities have a harder time with that. And what's unspoken, but definitely under there is, is because people of color have many fewer opportunities to make the kind of money that will let you give endowments to universities and
2: colleges. There's, there's the one, there's the one character who talks all about how, You know, when, when Dap is getting upset at them of like, why aren't we, you know, we should all be doing all this and putting ourselves at at risk of getting expelled all the time. And then his friend is like, I'm not going to do that because my parents have sacrificed everything to get me here. And I'm going to honor that. Um, which I thought was just such a, such an interesting scene. And then after that, all that kind of like falls away. There's so many interesting ideas. (laughs) In this movie that they start to explore and then he's yelling, wake up at the end in a field for as far as I can see, no reason. It's uh, very
1: spikely. that ending.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yes. There's not there's not any real conflict that doesn't resolve. And then it's over. Uh which like which which, which, like the conflict they begin, like the whole the conflicts on campus, this whole idea of colorism and and uh the divisions within this these groups that um I'm I'm trying to very carefully word this. I would say like as you know, white people tend to generalize like oh God, I don't want to say black people are all the same because that sounds so horrible. But it's like there's this, there's this sense of like, oh uh, yeah, the black community is one big strong community, and this movie Spike Lee is showing and saying like, that's not necessarily true. There are divisions within the community based on something as simple as hair and right. whether yeah, or not but- you whether or not you define yourself as like, well, I'm from Africa, I'm from Detroit. Uh, mm-hmm. there's so much interesting stuff there that also as a white person like there's not as much separation in there i mean you know yeah we judge people for having for having mullets but it's not quite the same thing <laughs> uh that's the, the best example i could think of on the fly and like also as somebody who's, who's not in that community to be in a movie that's drenched in it and exploring it and talking about it is so interesting and i was just really disappointed when the movie was not about that which ended up being quite a bit especially towards the end
1: yeah, yes, I no. Thought. I mean, he he makes Spike makes it very and it, you know, he he makes it very clear. And criticism of Spike from the black community also makes it very clear that the black community is not a monolith, no. which is how right. a lot of white America tends to view the black community, I think. Is they tend to look at it as like a unit, one unit, one voting block, one right.
2: Which I have a demographic,
1: have a, and it's a, not at all the case.
2: Yeah, I have a very good friend who uh, I shouldn't say. Well, I have a friend. I don't know if he would call us very good friends, um, but he's a he's a comic uh, here, kind of building up some some steam um, around the area. His name is Chris Allen, a very funny guy. People should look him up. I believe he also has a podcast. Um, but he's also very vocal about issues like this, and um, I've seen him get into some real conflicts with other. Uh, people of color over some of the stuff that he said it's just it's always just very interesting to have someone who is in that community who has these viewpoints and and who do have someone who that i'm close to to be so open about them because it's like oh that's i don't think about that and then to see it play out and people have these interactions is always very enlightening
0: yeah definitely the 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 two things i want to touch on stemming out of this is the first is that while it is certainly a you know a black film made f- primarily for a black audience that this is the reason that white people should see this movie that anyone should see this movie and any spike lee movie is because it gets you to think about a culture that you're not immersed in all the time um yes. and i think that's always a good thing it's why i like spike lee even if i don't like all those movies um the other thing i want to talk about is that you have the division between the, the t- the lighter skinned African-Americans in this movie, the darker skinned African-Americans in this movie. And this is most, you know, poignantly portrayed, particularly in the aforementioned scene we talked about in the salon where it's the, and I'm going to preface this with, you know, this is a early sl- you know, mean term. You should not call people this. It's, it is, it's not the N word, but it, I'm not going to say J word because people won't know what that means, but the people who are more, Uh, dark skin that own, uh, you know, their natural hairstyle in a different way that don't feel the, you know, that are dressing in a way that's not like the other side are what they call the jigaboos in this movie. And then you also have the wannabes. The wannabes are the people that they want to be something different. Want to be
2: white, I think, is kind of the implication. Well, wanna
0: be white is definitely the implication. And also I think the implication is wanna be something just different from your heritage, whatever that is. Whether it's, you know, putting in blue, blue contacts, dyeing your hair, and straightening mm-hmm. it to make it look blonde. And you have these two incredible divisions, which are very much alive and, and well today in black communities. And it's it's fascinating to me as someone outside of it because A, before I saw this movie, I never even thought about it. And B, I think it, it it kind of blows my mind and humbles me as someone who is, who is white because of all of the issues, and tell me if this makes sense or if I'm just off my rocker, all right. of all the issues from slavery onward that black folk in the United States have had to deal with over hundreds of years, that has created, I think, a search for identity for that was fractured by white people, that white people like so division very early on in black communities, and there is a struggle to piece some of that together and what does it mean to be black? Because I've never had white people talk about what it means to be white. Because being white oh. has always been being white. I think I think, I think we have that thing. I think we
2: have that question a little bit now, but not not nearly because of the reasons why. Uh, right.
1: So, yeah. I don't know, am I off my rocker on this? Like, do you guys understand what no, I'm saying? No, no. I, white people cut off the roots of the collective black family tree in this country by... Right, that's what I'm getting at, yeah. You know, the the slave traders wiped out any, you know, there's they're Few, if any, historical records linking anybody in the black community further back than the time of the slave trade. Whereas like I could go, you know, find a genealogist and they could trace my family heritage back to uh, on my father's side, uh, Canada and then France and on my mother's side back to Ireland And go back for generations upon generations, um, whereas that is just not possible for the vast majority of people of African-American descent, you know, people of African descent in this country. Um, And, you know, so that's there's there's absolutely always that that I have seen in. Black media and uh, art forms that there is, that's a a major theme in a lot of work is the search for identity and what it means to be African-American or what it means to be black or, you know, depending on how any one group wants to refer to themselves.
2: Oh, I, I remember what this movie reminded me of. um, And I meant to mention this. Uh, It, uh, reminded me so much of the fresh principal air episode uh where they ru- they rush a fraternity and at the end will gets in but they're not going to accept carlton because carlton's not the right type of black uh um, mm. and that's kind sure. of like the whole cuz he's, I- he's, he's
1: nerdy or cuz he's darker
2: cuz he's nerdy cuz he's like cuz he likes uh white stuff basically is how they like mm. they were putting it um I don't, it's been years since I've seen it. So I don't think I got too much into like the, the color of the skin beyond, you know, that they're both black. But it was like just because of how he acted, it wasn't black enough.
0: Right. Yeah. And also, uh, Nicole, you mentioned, you know, a lot of black literature and art is all about, you know, this, this finding identity within being a black American. Um, I also think it's important to mention that the mantra on this school, admission college is uplift the race which is pulled somewhat indirectly uh from uh WB Du Bois which is by the way it's Du Bois people that's my that's my little quirk for the day it's not Du Bois it's Du Bois but um that's pu- that's pulled from the souls of black folk which is this discussion that he t- that he has within the souls of black folk about um you know uplifting a representation of blacks uh and having this division between groups of African-Americans and mm-hmm. uh, go read the souls of black folk. I'm doing a very bad job of explaining it. Uh, um, go
1: but- back. And I, I took this wonderful course in college about the Harlem Renaissance and there was a yeah, great deal about yeah. all the literature of that period, you know, WB Bois and the writings of Marcus Garvey and Langston mm-hmm. Hughes. And, you know, there's so it's, it's, there's so much, it's so rich. And, oh, it is! Oh my God! But yeah, I mean that's, and there are some of the people who are featured in the the opening montage of this movie. The opening credits mm-hmm. feature photos of
2: God. I forgot about that.
1: You know, Black Americans who, um, what's the right way to phrase? It? Who are leaders of?
2: Yeah, they. they you know, I think the idea is they paved in, the
1: way in for the African American community of various sorts.
0: Yeah, they paved sure. the way for the college to be. Uh, Possible. Yeah, yeah, and the two the two other names I'll throw in there. Uh, go read some James Baldwin and go read some Zora Neale Hurston. You know, get get those oh, up yeah. too. Okay. Um, so, and actually, while I'm while I'm at it, one thing I very briefly want to drop here is a is a huge recommendation. If this discussion interests you and you want to hear someone talk about it who is infinitely more uh, qualified <laughs> than us, us, and qualified, <laughs> um, us piecey, by piecey all piecey means. People. Yes, please go read. Um, you know the Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, "Between the World and Me" uh, by Ta-Nehisi Coates, who was uh, a writer for the Atlantic for a very long period of time. Uh, shortly at the New York Times, he studied under David Carr. If you're familiar with David Carr, he was one of the most influential reporters at the New York Times before he passed away a couple of years ago. And uh, "Between the World and Me," I, I was I had to read it in college. It was one of the very few books I I read that I was assigned and then bought because. Utterly blew my mind because it's it's all written in the style of a James Baldwin book because James Baldwin wrote a book that was in the form of a letter, and Tanahisi writes to his young son who is currently in junior high, maybe, and he writes to his young son about this is what the world is going to be like growing up as a black man as someone who has experienced this from me to you, and it is blunt and it is heartbreaking and it is really intense, and Tanahisi comes from a place where he went to an historically black college. He had a lot of the experiences that are actually very similar to some in this movie. And if you want to understand how things that are happening in this movie are playing out today, definitely go buy that book. If not just because it is a compelling and beautifully written book that will get you thinking. Um, though it's a hard read, he is a very... In, like He is fancy with them words. It is a deep read. Um, let's let's touch on a few more. Well, oh, sorry, David, I, I want to say real quick. And after you
2: read some of ta Coates stuff there, uh, go read, uh, the black Panther that he's been writing for the last like four
0: years. Yeah. Y- yes. Yes. I totally forgot about that. And yeah. also if you really want to dig into Ta-Nehisi Coates, um, his, his big break of like popping onto the national stage, was when he did that piece in the Atlantic uh, called the case for reparations, which is a whole other different, you know, um, debate within the black community and the white community. Um, but getting back to this movie, but go read him seriously. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the fellow step routine. Now, it's not aging particularly well. This is from Nicole. Ah, be- because of what ah. they call the other guys. Yes. Ah, not good.
1: No, um, the F no.
0: slur is thrown around here in not a cool way. There's never a cool way to use the F slur, but there, uh,
2: so well. well, here's so where I'm at in my life is I'm a 30-year-old man and uh, I have gotten into stand-up comedy in the last couple years. And so I have some group chats with some comics and I hang out with some comics, not much, because a lot of them are young 20s guys. And when you're in your young 20s, guess what is a word that is
0: still used? Oh uh, no. It's not I, I
1: great. Expe-
0: I, 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 was, I was about to say I, I, I've expelled that because I'm in my young 20s, but I never, oh man, yeah. I grew up I, and like, I, that's it's, not okay. It's probably more prevalent in a place like the comics community where right. you're right. trying to be a
2: little more shocking. Um, I, you know, I have another guy who's, who's like around my same age that were on these chats and it's like we never use these words. So it's just really weird to see people still using them. It, yeah, it's the it's not a great word. Don't be using it, guys. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a bundle of sticks held together. Uh <laughs> right. would be the correct term of the word faggot, not the one that they use it for.
1: Yeah, yeah that reminds that's me of, um the hazard of 80s movies is, Mm -hmm. you know, while the word is still thrown around today, it is thankfully much more rare, Um, but it was super common in the 80s, along with gay panic and trans panic and
0: uh, Nicole, is this where I get to go on my like 30-minute rant about why the hell is money for nothing still on the radio? (laughs) Like
1: why is oh the they song bleep so that laid? now? They they, do they bleep, bleep that it? yeah okay, they do. Good.
0: I remember so. a couple years ago when I was in college, I and I was listening to that song on the radio. I, me and my friends listened to it. It wasn't bleeped, and it's just, it's like that. And um, what's the Pogue song? It's Christmas. I hate you. I'm going to be. Oh, you, you
1: can never understand what you're saying anyway, though.
0: <laughs> oh yes, I <laughs> know which one you're talking about. Christmas yeah. in New York, or what? Uh, what's this? Is going to folly work. The post <laughs> Christmas. Uh yes, fairy tale of New York. Um there is something about like 80s rock ballads that use the F slur that are somehow still cool on radio, even if we believe it.
1: Yeah, um, but as I, I was going to say it let's swing it back around to this movie. Um, you know, that that doesn't age well, but I was very very happy to see, you know, these the step routines. Being done because, you know, I only just heard of this. This being a, a primarily a originating in black colleges, this mm-hmm. step presentation that's almost like a dance crew kind of thing with, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and it's I it's awesome and it's <laughs> I was just like more aren't there going to be there's you know. <laughs> he's going to throw random musical numbers in here. Why not more of that? You know,
2: that right. would be a
0: great chance for a musical. number. you could do, <laughs> you could do so much musical stuff there. Yeah. The, the stepping yeah. scene is very interesting to me because I was watching this with, with my fiance day and she was in a, she was in a sorority when she was in college. And uh, so she's got a little more finger on the pulse than I do in terms of, you know, Greek life and what it means and what people do. And apparently like this sort of thing is not only, you know, more prevalent in, Uh, historically black fraternities, but also just in multicultural fraternities and sororities as a whole, stuff like this happens a lot more than their white counterparts. And uh, it's a great little scene that is a great insight into what's going on during this homecoming week. That's one thing I like about this movie is that during this homecoming week, you see all the, you know, different things, both culturally and zany that are happening as they either, you know, haze people or do something that the school has been doing for 200 years. And, I, th- I think that's cool.
1: Ugh, you get creamed in the football game,
0: which was r- right
1: the most inventive non-game I think I've ever seen <laughs> put say. to
0: film. My favorite thing is when <laughs> is when you see one of the players' heads pop up, and you see a ball fly past him in the background. Like Spike just had a grip, throw a ball past the camera because they didn't have an opposing team to play these guys. <laughs> Nope.
2: Yeah, and they and yeah. they were like it. continually getting kicked off of colleges. So like, who knows where they actually filmed <laughs> that?
1: Right. So it's a, it's a football game where you never see anybody playing football. Uh-uh.
0: No, I, we're I, just shown the score at the end, and then that's uh, it. It is. It is truly a six point five million dollar movie in nineteen eighty eight. <laughs> that's um, still a pretty good budget. Yeah. Not bad, Not bad.
1: especially um, for a free. second feature
0: yeah right. I'd be curious to see what do the right thing was was working with. um let's also talk about our final discussion topic here, uh something light masculinity and sexuality <laughs> uh, this this there are characters in this movie having a perpetual crisis with this
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. well yeah well in in this movie is kind of kind of saying like you're not a man like you're not a man unless you've had sex, like men have sex adult but you become a man when you have sex. And it's like that's such a 1980s idea that I don't love.
1: Yeah, whereas women just have to bleed apparently. Yeah, right. So it's much like, easier for you. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, do like, one, one you of
0: the fellow pledges tells half pint cuz cuz they, they you know they're pushing him to go out and have sex. And then uh, one of the pledges is just please go buy a kitten and bring it to him and say, you got it. Um, I'll let Which by the way, is super, creative. The super creative, super um,
1: creative. Yeah. Uh, so you get, you get the P word, you know, nice. here, I brought you one.
2: Well, it's another <laughs> right. word for a cat.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: yes. Uh, like <laughs> that, that, that was a, a great solution. but they just throughout the whole movie. And it's never like, never anybody's like, Hey man, you're a man when you're a man, it's like the idea kind of prevalent is, Men have sex.
1: Right. Whereas, you know, it's to be clear, it's when you are act where you take some responsibility for yourself as a person and you treat other people with respect and, you know, show up and you fulfill promises that you have made. You, you know, you live up to your obligations and you, you enjoy your life, but you, you know, you you are a responsible human being yeah the
0: good news, guys is that toxic masculinity is gone now, right? and this is oh the-
1: yeah thing <laughs> gone no such thing anymore
0: <laughs> right <sighs> yeah, and again, this this goes it's- back to what David was saying, like there's a lot of great ideas in this, not all of them are well executed again, no, right and there's now. some very, that, but
2: yeah, there's some very nineteen eighties ideas in this movie as well, so, as I'm right, saying yes. with like with this of like I don't think if Spike Lee was making this movie today uh that would necessarily be how that would be represented.
1: Well, right. yeah, I mean that's that was the thing about the end scene the, the well, the scene with Half Pint and Jane that I found interesting was that at first his character, you know, they get put in the bone room together and Jane Which, feels like Lord. she has to go through with this and Half Pint saying, we don't have to do this. Well, well, you know, he gives you
2: know. her, he gives her one out, and then when she's like, "No, we're gonna do it." He's not like, "Hey, no, that's not cool." He's just like, "Yeah, oh, all right, sure." Right. Yeah,
1: I was like, always Come here. Let me, you, let me treat you nice. You let know, the first face. time,
0: yeah, the first time I saw this movie, I was really expecting because you don't see what happens in the room. She walks out. She's you know crying. I really expect, and he says he wants to walk her to her car. I really expected them to go down to his car, and she was crying because they just had a talk. About how shitty her boyfriend is. That's what I really expected to happen. the first time I saw this movie. That's what you're hoping Not for, what ha- Yeah, that's yeah. not what happens. As we've talked about earlier. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez.
1: Yeah. So I would. I would like to think that if he made this movie again today, that he that he would do that scene differently, and he would not have half point go through with it. Um. Yeah. So you know, big big hint, guys. If the woman that you're trying to be with is crying um stop
0: yeah maybe just stop if it's, it's in time a room to have a
1: talk the bone room. if
2: yeah. if somebody is like yeah. hey man you want to have sex with my girlfriend it's a trap don't do it yeah. uh, but also i just i got really tickled by the idea of him remaking this movie today but still playing half pint <laughs> as if <laughs> as if he were a college aged kid
0: <laughs> you do it he's Oh, I uh, actually I don't think Spike's really acted in his movies for quite some time. I think that was the early Spike thing. I think, and I think that's okay. <laughs> I think yeah. that's okay, too. Uh, the one thing I do want to say before we close out is we've talked a lot about the music in this movie. And what I've always thought about while watching this movie is, while the music choices are, in my opinion, they range from really on point to way out there and they don't really land their mark. It definitely just is totally a movie that was about to open up to another movie in which spike would go to public enemy and have them write, you know, what became one of the most definitive songs of early hip hop, which was fight the power fight. The power was written for do the right thing. Uh, and so his love of music and his movies, this is the root of so much of that. And this is him exploring how to use it and, and how to do it well. And while, you know, this movie might be misguided at times, it definitely jams a lot of his love of music into it, for better or for worse.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, i I do want to say that i I agree that this movie could be tighter. You know, I think you could probably lose the whole um, actual coronation of the homecoming queen and that whole yeah. song, which goes on for a really long time. I don't know. Maybe there's a there there may well be some cultural context that I'm missing that makes it have more resonance for someone who's African-American or went to a historically black college, but it, it goes on for ages and it's not really relevant to the plot because it's, you know, the homecoming queen isn't, isn't is not even a character that we know.
0: (laughs) Right. You never meet
1: her. You never go back to her. (laughs) She's not featured anywhere else in the movie except like the parade, the homecoming parade. So yeah.
2: homecoming is just this kind of idea around the film that like, it kind of like goes and like is in some homecoming stuff that is not. And
0: then like, it is, gives it like
1: is. a base of operations. kind Yeah,
0: of. exactly. Yeah. Um, which again, I think I, man, I really need to find a way to bring do the right thing to the podcast. I don't know how, but he refined, right. Do the right thing takes the backdrop is a very hot day. And then yeah. that fills in.
1: Yeah, it's all one conflict. day. conflict.
0: Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where, so so the backdrop to this is it's homecoming weekend. We're going to fill in all of the conflict with things related to homecoming weekend. And the things that happen in homecoming weekend are what are going to be catalysts for this, you know, for these conflicts, the parties, the coronations, the parades. Um, he does the same thing, but sharper and more concise and in do the right thing with the hot day. Yeah. Uh, so... As, as we wrap up, is there anything else anyone else wanted to touch on? Yeah, just one last thought. Anybody who decides
2: to pledge in their senior year is a psychopath. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I did not pledge a sorority when I went to school. I, have, I do have friends who did. Uh, one of my friends pledged at a, a state school, and she went to a, a co-ed fraternity. Uh, that was primarily service oriented. So they like went out and did charity stuff. And that I think is the best use of Greek life one could have. Um, But I think I, I would want to take a minute and just encourage people who might sit there and say, well, you know, you're even telling me this movie is not for me. Why should I watch it? Which is you should absolutely go watch media, go partake of novels, go watch movies that were not designed for you, and just pay attention, you know, learn, shut up and learn, you know, watch things that you've never been exposed to before, learn about, you know, ways of life that you don't know about, find out about Religions that you know nothing of and the, you know, the things that they do might seem strange or uh, communities that have a whole series of traditions that you've never heard of. And you're like, whoa, wait, why? You know, this is confusing. I don't like being confused. Therefore, I'm going to tune out and go away. Don't do that. Pay attention. Listen. Watch. Learn. Enjoy. I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. I was Good. solidly engaged the whole time. It did help that it was baby Larry Fishburne. I know we um, do not really talk
0: about that, but oh, is it fun to see him not only super young, but still in the opening credits as Larry. Yes. Yeah, back when he was going by Larry. Yeah.
1: Oh, I miss Larry. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the, the funny thing is, like, I, I my fiance couldn't pin him; she couldn't figure out who it was. And then I showed her a modern photo where it's like he's he's a he's a handsome man, but his face is rounded out more. And that's the iconic. Mm. Oh, look he
1: put on Matrix some and, some heft oh, yeah, as he got older.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's the Matrix, and you know she actually knew him from Othello. So I was like, oh man, you're doing a deeper cut than me. Yeah, um, he he plays a great Othello. Yeah, so wonderful, wonderful actor. Well, guys, uh, thank you. Next week we are going to be watching. Uh, Billy Elliot. Is this a sad movie? Is it a happy movie? Like, what am I getting into here? It, Nicole, you, you guys have seen it. At least you have. It's
1: bittersweet, but triumphant. It's a boy in a mining town. a talk about toxic masculinity, um, oh where like the, the idea of manliness is minors. Um, and he learns how to, uh, express himself through dance and comes to really love dancing and is excellent at it. But of course his father being a minor and uh, with very fixed ideas at first approve, So there's, a, you know, there's a lot of conflict going up to that and it's, you know, he lives a, a life in poverty, you know, relative poverty. And it's, so it's, there are some dark spots in this movie, but at the end it is uh, heartwarming. So
0: I am, uh, I'm deeply concerned that what you just described to me was Uh um, an entire subplot in the reboot of Sabrina, because a, I know that. What What really bothers me is that I know that that is an entire subplot where there is a character that their story arc is exactly as you have just described (laughs) with their literal toxic, masculine coal miner dad. It's the Uh date Sabrina. You guys wouldn't know. It's just the hip, cool new show that all the kids are watching. Um, Is
1: Jamie Bell in it? No.
0: Uh, <laughs> it was. It was on, and it was definitely a weird, guilty play. It was. It's a. It was a dark place. We're not going to talk about *Spring of the Teenage Witch*. Um, <laughs> let's not? close out our episode. Uh, David, where can people find you online?
2: I think we can also find me uh, in addition to this podcast. If you want to hear me talk about just science fiction movies, you can find me on the *Brokeback Mountain* podcast with Phil Rude. And around the internet and under the username Dav Luz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter and Instagram, you can find me there.
0: Very good. What about you, Nicole?
1: I take care of our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash movie around podcast. Uh, I am Nicole underscore Davis on Letterboxed. Uh, I just haven't tweeted in a long time. I'm back on Instagram uh, as <laughs> other.nicole if you want to follow me over there, I'd, which is nothing to do with movies, but hey. um, Except that I just went to the Independent Film Festival Boston and saw a few movies there. So. I, I guess cool. I do put up movie-related stuff over there.
0: Very good. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. If you'd like to find all the socials, that is the Shows Facebook and Twitter, which you should totally follow. If you want to follow any of us and all these links we just spewed out, head on over to social.mgrpodcast.com. All the links for those are there. You can email the show. We would love to hear from you, particularly on an episode like this where your input is incredibly valued. It always is, but this is a really interesting episode to hear your thoughts on. Hi, hi at mgrpodcast.com. Dot com. The last thing I will say is if you have an opportunity, go ahead and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. We want to get more of those in there. We want to keep growing this audience. Those numbers grow very slowly and we, they are growing and it's wonderful, but we would really love to get more people in here to have the opportunity to do even more crazy things with You Did This To Us weeks and all that sort of thing. So head on over to iTunes or Stitcher, mostly iTunes, and rate us. We would so appreciate your feedback i'll do it for myself david and nicole we will be back next week with billy elliott